Welcome to Putting Together, the podcast that goes through the entire body of work of Stephen Sondheim, show by show and song by song. My name is Kyle Marshall, your self-described Sondheim expert. Now, I know what you must be thinking. How are you posting a Sondheim adjacent episode so close to the last one that you did? Well, this one is very time sensitive, so I thought I'd put it up early, but this is going to be the Sondheim adjacent episode for the month of October. Whenever the one that comes out in November comes out, whether it's the beginning or the end, I don't know. But yes, I realize that these are coming out super close together. That's not my intention going forward. I do want to thank you so much to the people over at Patreon that makes this bonus episode that we do each month possible. You yourself can become a patron if you go to patreon.com slash putting it together podcast. I still have not figured out what I want my next goal to be, like what level we're trying to get to. I'll, I'll think of something sometime. Who I'm talking with here today. In New York City, there is a performance of Side by Side by Sondheim that's going to be happening this very week. So I got a chance to talk to director Jeffrey Doig Marks, producer and performer Vanessa Paradis, and performer Marty Millet, who was pen pal of Stephen Sondheim, which we get into all of that in this episode. So there's no reason to belabor the point anymore. Here's this episode about Side by Side by Sondheim, which you can go and see if you're in the New York area this coming week. Jeffrey Dwight Marks, Marty Millet, thank you so much for joining me here today. Uh, I'm excited to talk to you about the newest production of Side by Side by Sondheim. Marty, I want to start with you because I think the big thing that was told to me is that you used to be a pen pal of Stephen Sondheim. So yes. I want to know, A, is that true? And t- tell me more. It is true. And um, I was told I I wrote him my first fan letter when I was 14 years old. Mm -hmm. I was a a precocious, lonely, fat teenager in the Mm -hmm. pre-internet days in a very small town in Ohio. Heard Sweeney Todd for the first time. I have to write this guy a letter. And someone that I knew, knew someone who had his address and said it was an adult, obviously. And this person said to me, he was known for answering fan letters. So Mm -hmm. you should go ahead and write to him. So I wrote to him and he wrote back. Thank you very much. And being a kind of ballsy kid who didn't know any better, I wrote to him again. I asked him some questions about some musical things that he had done in Sweeney Todd, like the the bird calls at the beginning of Greenfinch and Linnet Bird. And I asked him a lot of really like hyper focused, detailed questions. He answered everything and he was like having a good time. And we started just writing, just writing. Like I would write, I would write four pages and he would write one, but I mean, you know, uh, we remained pen pals for a a very long time. I was uh, corresponding with him while he was writing merrily. We roll along. And that in fact, it was that year when I was 14 and he, at the time they were planning on casting actual teenagers mm-hmm. in Marilee. They ended up going with older people, which was obviously a better idea. But he invited me to come to New York and audition for the show. That's and amazing. I did. And I know I came with my mom and I didn't get to meet Steve at the one time that I could come and they could accommodate me. He literally couldn't be there. But I auditioned for Paul Gemignani and Joanna Merlin. Um, oh, wow. And, you know, as the guy in the producer's movie says, I didn't get it. 
<laughs> but, but, um, it's uh, uh like i said they ended up going another way but it, it was an amazing opportunity and he was incredibly generous mm-hmm. like that with me and with a lot of other people that he wrote to as well so he was really his friendship was a lifeline to me and you know it's hard for some of your younger listeners to imagine a time when there was no internet where you could find like-minded people but in a town of three thousand people in 1980 yeah, uh, yeah. In, uh, Eastern Ohio, you were SOL if you didn't happen to know someone mm-hmm. that you could write an actual letter to. Well, two quick follow-up questions to that. One, did you actually end up seeing Merrily We Roll along in the two weeks that it was actually on Broadway? I coincidentally and magically enough, we bought my my parents mm-hmm. bought tickets for us to see it, and it turned out it was the final performance Whoa, okay i saw the final performance betty comden and adolph green were there wearing t-shirts that said sad friend because oh. you know the the costumes are all t-shirts mm-hmm. with writing on them after those american flag things got scrapped i was very dressed up and people kept asking me where the bathroom was because they thought i was an usher um but mm-hmm. there, i mean it was everyone was crying i was crying all the people around us were crying it, it, it was an amazing thing to be present for oh yeah Uh, i I can't yeah i can't even imagine what the vibe in that theater was like on that last performance electric and you know the the way every song was cheered for i mean every you know and i thought to myself gee show seems to be doing well why is it closing i had no idea it was the final performance until like um, the, the other question I was just going to ask was Sweeney Todd your introduction to Stephen Sondheim or that was just like what you were obsessed with at the time? Todd was my introduction. I My parents took me out of public school, sent me to a private school, and that's where I met Becca Mendelssohn. God bless her. She had been to New York and she knew that I liked musicals. And she said, have you listened to any new stuff? And I was like, I'm, I'm not really into the new stuff. I don't mm. I don't I don't like rock and roll. And she said, well, there's this guy, Stephen Sondheim. And I'm like, oh, I've kind of heard of him. He wrote Send in the Clowns, right? She goes, here's my Sweeney Todd LP. And Amazing. that was it. Absolutely blown away. Obsessed. Jeff, you, of course, are the director of Side by Side by Sondheim. This is not, yes. of course, the first production of this show that's going on. I'm curious how you approach something like that then, something that's been produced multiple times. How do you make your mark as a director? Well, it's funny because the script is 1975. Like all mm. the references are 1975. So we had to go through first and update that to bring it up now. Like one of the lines was 48 years ago, Stephen Sondheim was born in mm. New York City. We had to change that. Sondheim doesn't have a lot of movement in it. And there were some numbers that I have a little more choreography in it because I also think that goes hand in hand with Sondheim. And I'm trying to give it a fresh look and a fresh take on something that's already been done. Mm-hmm. So we've been doing that. We've been adding choreography to it and just really developing the characters. And it's really cool because it's in a review. So you can be a little looser than a book show. Right. With your characters and what they're doing at that time. That's nice. What was your first introduction to Stephen Sondheim? I don't remember a time in my life where I didn't have Sondheim. I remember in high school, they put on West Side Story mm. to do Romeo and Juliet. And then I was listening to Side by Side by Sondheim. When I was in high school, I loved everything that, that Sondheim did. And then when I saw 
I think, yeah, everybody gets hooked with Sweeney Todd. I love Sweeney Todd. <laughs> and I've loved every version of it. Company, mm-hmm. I played that album until I once saw Pamela Meyer in a cabaret. And I was so excited. And I ran up to her at the end of the show. And I said, I played your song so many times that it skipped. And I still played it anyways. And then I ran out of the room because I couldn't believe that I was meeting Pamela Meyer. Oh, yeah. I think I would still do that, to be honest with you. Uh, <laughs> you have... Um, a great many like artistic endeavors like i was just on your website here a couple of days ago there's theater there's dance there's your own writing and stuff that you're doing here as well like what was uh, what made you fall in love with with the arts i guess as a broad term but theater in general well when i was a kid i wanted to be a choreographer i didn't mm. want to be a dancer i wanted to be a choreographer but i knew to be a choreographer i had to make the journey as a dancer and then when i you know, worked several jobs as a dancer. Then I got to become a choreographer. Then I got to become a director. Then I, about 2011, mm-hmm. I moved, got married and moved to Harlem. And we have giant walls. And I said, I want to do a painting for that wall. And my husband said, have you ever painted before? Mm-hmm. And I said, no. And he said, get two cans and a roller. And I was like, that's funny. Then literally in 2015, I had my first New York City solo gallery opening show. Oh, and wow. I've been selling work ever since now i do digital art i just love it i love it and theater is my passion i love everything about it that's amazing that you kind of just jumped in with both feet i find it's like <laughs> but i think that so many people prove like no you can if you're passionate about it and you want to do it then there really is no reason why you can't start well i find that everybody has to have a label or they can't understand it mm-hmm. and so a lot of times i get how could you do this because you write? How could you do this because you paint? How could you do this because you dance? Just, I don't listen to it and I just keep moving forward and I'm going to make my own path and I'm having a blast doing it. Awesome. So it's, um, it's great. Now, did I see Vanessa come in? She did. Vanessa is here. Perfect. Vanessa, you started Dream Productions in 2017. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah. I want to know what made you start a production company in the first place. Why, why do that? Um, I wanted to do cabaret mm-hmm. and I didn't know anything about it. So I did my, I did my own cabaret show and it was called one night stand because mm. it for one night. And what kind of songs were you doing there? I sang a mixture of musical theater and pop because mm. I was talking about myself and it was kind of a get to know you type of vibe. Right. So like my two things are pop culture and like MTV mm-hmm. and musical theater. So put the two together and that's kind of who I am. I did it. It was great. It was, you know, I, I, I sold it out and, and then I was, I was, I don't know. I was just like, how many more times can I do this? Because New York has a huge cabaret scene and you go to see people sing all the time. Right. And it's a lot of the same people that you go to see all the time. And it's a lot of work. People think, oh, you're just going to like, oh, you're just going to go sing in a club. And, yeah, you stand and up people... and sing, right? Yeah. Yeah. And there's like so much more that goes into it. And I was just like, you know, it's not really fulfilling for me. Like how often can I make people come and see me talk about myself? I mean, I love to talk about myself, but uh, it just didn't feel right. And I always loved the, the collaboration of theater of mm-hmm. like, what happens in the rehearsal room? Like, yeah, the shows are great and everything's sparkly and beautiful by then. But like the journey from the beginning to the actual production is what always made me happy. Mm-hmm. So 
like, well, how much did I spend? I took a look at that. And then I was like, well, how much are rights to a show? Because mm. you can, this is New York City. You can do whatever you want. I'm a defiant person anyway, and I will do whatever I want. So I was like, all right, I will buy the rights for a show and we'll do like a concert version of it. Sure. So that's how it started. I was like, what's what's a show that can be a concert version? What's, what's a great show that people will love? What's New York? And then I landed on Company. I was going to say, because I think Company was your first one, right? Yeah, it was. Yeah. How is that like launching Company as a, as a first show, even in a concert format? It was like, there were moments where it was scary. We had, um, mm-hmm. we had issues with some of the creative team. We had to replace some of them. You know, you don't really know what you're doing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, you know, I've, I had a great um, partner and we figured it out. I mean, we had cast changes, all of the ridiculous things that can happen when you're doing a show i don't know it just it came out beautifully we had the right people we had an orchestra mm-hmm. like a little mini orchestra. it was you know something to be proud of and then i mean besides the, the the show that's debuting here very soon like what other shows have you been able to do we did in 2018 we did into the woods okay which was challenging because of the size of the cast <laughs> a tiny little cabaret stage to work on but it came out well we actually won a broadway world award for that production nice somebody somebody came to see us we got a couple of write-ups about different cast members on in different you know media outlets and then we followed into the woods with pippin because i wanted to do my goal with the company was to be heavy sondheim but like sondheim sondheim something else sondheim sondheim something else so we went with Pippin. That was a challenge because I always, I always put myself in the show, but I was playing the leading player. So that was a juggle for me personally. And then again, you have choreography on a tiny, tiny stage. Right. And it's a Fosse show. So how much of his choreography can you actually like kind of use or not use? And then how many dancers are you going to have? Because you still have like all of the different characters as well. But we made it. We always you made, made it. it. I mean, as a, <laughs> as a producer too, I mean, there's always that stuff of uh, a, a ton of balls in the air that you keep juggling around as a production is going on. Not to get super negative about it, but I'm sure like 2020, 2021 were hard years to kind of try and limp by uh what what were what was your plan or what was your method of attack during those couple years well we didn't do anything in 2020 we were Mm -hmm. all set to do sweeney todd right and we were all like so looking forward to it and then COVID happened and we didn't do it and then we're in 2022 yeah yes yeah i know (laughs) so yeah 2021 is blur i didn't even think about doing a show because i didn't know what also the cabaret venues which is where we put them on are very tiny and with covid it's like it it took a long time for them to even be Mm -hmm. fully functioning again and i just didn't do it and then we were we were still going for sweeney steven died and and people snatched up all the rights so he's going to have to wait. I'm going to go back to Marty here for a moment. So after you go and audition for Merrily We Roll Along, you know, you don't you don't get it. But I'm by the sounds of it, you continue to go out for, for other shows back in your hometown. Like, what was your journey like? Yeah, I, I did community theater for uh, the whole time that I was growing up from the time I was 12. And um, I had a wonderful mentor at the Towngate Theater in Wheeling, West Virginia. 
His name was Harold O'Leary. He also taught at Bethany College mm. outside of Wheeling. And so Francis McDormand and I studied with the same acting teacher. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. But I, I continued to have this correspondence with Steve all through my teenage years. So it was, uh, I was living in two different worlds, you know, and like, like when Merrily closed, I wanted to talk about that because he and I were writing very regularly at that time, like a couple times a month. Mm-hmm. And when Merrily closed and I wrote him after I saw the last performance and I said how much I loved it. And I mean, of course, being a teenager, I mean, it affected me so much. It, yeah has informed my life ever since, in fact. And he wrote back to me and said, you are one of the few friends of mine who didn't desert me after this show flopped. Mm. And I want to thank you for continuing to be my friend and being supportive of me because I really need it. And in this business, as soon as people smell failure, they desert you. And I thought to myself, Stephen Sondheim? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It seems so weird, but yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it was, um, I was given so many incredible gifts by accident or by fate or whatever in my interaction with him. That was one of them to feel the power that my support can give to another person. Even if I think he's seven zillion miles above me. Yeah. Yeah. Be kind and supportive to your colleagues. And that's how I look at them, no matter how big they are. Everyone likes a compliment. Everyone likes a real specific compliment. Right. It's stood me in good stead. He used to talk about being a gentleman and that Dorothy Hammerstein told him that a gentleman is someone who never hurts someone else's feelings on purpose. Mm. Um, This was after I had said something that I thought was funny, but really was just nasty. I was 16, which is... That's the age when you do those things. Yeah. And he really, um, he gave me a swat for it. Okay. Okay. Then we remained friends. So, I mean, it, it, it was, it was a real human friendship with all of the highs and lows. And like, there was a time when I didn't speak to him. How do you do that? <laughs> I was like, well, maybe we just shouldn't write for a while. He was like, well, maybe we shouldn't because I was a huge effing idiot. But <laughs> That's what you know when you get older. You can look back and be like, "Yeah, I was a moron back yeah, then." Yeah, no, it all it all ended in in a in a wonderful way. We mm-hmm. we remained friendly, and then when he got to be huge, like after Sunday in the Park, we didn't. I didn't bother him anymore. He but he was so famous after he won the Pulitzer. We would write to each other once or twice a year. I would just check in, write him a note for his birthday, blah blah blah, and I would always sign it. You know, your old pen pal from mm-hmm. Shady Sock, Marty Millet. You know. And, and yeah. I would run into him occasionally in the city. Once I was working as a cater waiter at Carnegie Hall, and it was the night they did the revival of Anyone Can Whistle. Mm-hmm. And I kept going to listen to it, but I was at the after party and he was there with Arthur Lawrence. And so I just walk up with my tray of artichoke puffs and I said, uh, we're not supposed to schmooze with the guests. And I can see him recoiling. And I said, but it's me, your old pen pal, Marty Hill. And he was like, ah, gave me a big hug. And he <laughs> ate all of my uh, artichoke puffs. <laughs> Stood there and talked to me, introduced me to Arthur Lawrence. Excellent. And um, I mean, he said to Arthur Lawrence, and I I had written him letters, and he had also seen like the poetry that I wrote in college at this point. He introduced me to Arthur Lawrence and said, this is my friend Marty. She's a wonderful writer. Mm. That's amazing. Arthur Lawrence. (laughs) I I will just say right now, I will eat your 
artichoke puffs any day of the week. So just. <laughs> That's what she said. No, yeah. um, it was an amazing experience. And yet, you know, here I am. He didn't open a door and push me through it. He got me uh, an audition mm-hmm. once, got people to see me, but it was something that they didn't think I was right for. He didn't take my hand yeah. and guide me to stardom, which certainly I would have been willing for him to do. <laughs> <laughs> sure. But, but, you, know, you, know, but, you know what it reminds me of? There's, um, at least in the movie version of uh, Tick, Tick, Boom, you know, Jonathan, Jonathan Larson, the character in that, says that uh, one nice word by Stephen Sondheim sustained me for two years when I wanted to give up, right? <laughs> and sometimes there's people, I want to be careful, like there's still people, but there are those people in your life that are like, yeah, okay, this is encouraging. I can continue on. Look, he was magical. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's only one way for me to put it. He was magical. He was more brilliant than anyone I knew. I remember when he died, Paul Gemini, there was a quote Paul Gemignani said to, I can't remember to whom, who's going to make us feel inadequate now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, he pushed everyone he knew and he knew that that was his job. And uh, did he have an ego about it? Sure. But he also was still so kind and so generous to the people that he mentored. And he mentored like we now know, he mentored like hundreds of people. And he had that ability. And don't tell me that's not a magical gift. Well, turning to this show in particular, what songs are you a part of? What role are you taking on here through Side by Side by Sondheim? Well, we have expanded this show from three people to six. Mm. And so the d- distribution of songs has been very much personality based. Yes. Personality wise, as Vanessa says, you know what? And a lot of it was, I mean, I came into this show knowing all of these songs like the back of my hand, because like I said, I was a fat teen. <laughs> so um, I know all of the parts. So mm-hmm. there's a song that people that like nobody really wanted because it had 11 verses. I'm doing it. <laughs> right. I'm singing I Never Do Anything Twice, you know. Oh, great song, great song. <laughs> ones with all the verses. But no, I mean, I get to sing Send in the Clowns, mm. like, it, which is something that I actually never sing because ah, Send in the Clowns, everybody does that. And then it's like, oh, wow, when you actually start working on it, you realize what an incredible gift of a scene that is to play. That's mm-hmm. what it is. It's a, it's a scene with him. I mean, it's a monologue, but I mean, obviously, but the guy is there while you're going through your entire relationship with this person. That's right. On this podcast, that that is what the conceit of the show is that every episode, normally we do a song analysis. It's just one song that we're going through lyric by lyric and kind of talking about it. And so many times that's what me and my guests discover is like, oh, this is a scene unto itself. Beginning, there's middle, there's an end to it, there's a flow to it. This is a specific word that's used that's really important that comes back at the end. For an actress, I'm sure that's a great gift to be able to utilize. Everything for him is about character. And Mm -hmm. if there's a little music in between one line and the next line, it's because he means for something to happen there. A thought, a change, an adjustment, or maybe it's movement. I don't, you know, could, could be that. But I used to um, sing opera and working on Sondheim is very much like working on Mozart. Everything Mm. that you need to know is in the song. It's in the lyric. It's in the music. It's all there. It's a wonderful thing to immerse yourself in. There's nothing better. It's always so funny. You hear so many interviews like I do because I'm obsessive about it. I watch a lot of interviews. And he often says that's like, honestly, performers always come to me and ask me questions. And it's like, it's there. It's all right there (laughs) that you can take from it. So just follow along with the song and it'll tell you what to do. 
Jeff, I'm going to bring you back into the conversation here. Um, obviously, as a director, there's a lot of moving parts and stuff, but um, is this your first Sondheim thing you've done, or have you done other Sondheim work? First Sondheim. And okay. It's very, I mean, I love Sondheim, and I love everything he's done, and I've gone through and dissected all of it. I usually start with the acting, like what is going on in the scene, and what is what are you portraying, how are you feeling mm -hmm. to get the song across, and where is it going? I mean, there's always, I always find that there's so many lists in Sondheim, like I won't do this, I won't do that, I won't do this, but then I'll do that. And there's always these lists that he makes. Right. So it's really interesting. And every character is so different. There's a um, pretty lady from uh, Pacific Overtures. Pacific Overtures. Thank you. And I think it's the, a dark song. It is so pre-Sweeney Todd. And if you look at it, it's the sailors looking at the women but mm -hmm. they're not geishas because in act two, they bring the madam is releasing the geishas to the, right. the world. So, so many times I've heard that song and it's been like a, a happier version of it. It is creepy. It is stalkerish. Yes, it is. And yeah. it's just, and I love for that brief moment. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's so beautiful. And it comes between two light songs. So I really wanted to see the darkness of it. And you can hear sort of like the, the beginning tones of like, what became Sweeney Todd. It's this yes. whole dark overtell. Yeah, it's, it's, it's remarkable that way. I mean, it's so fascinating because I guess as this is your first project, you get to have an experience of doing bits and parts of a bunch of different Sondheim shows. This is probably like trying to pick a favorite child or a favorite pet or something like that. But is there a favorite sequence, a favorite song that you had the most fun like choreographing? There is, I mean, we, the most choreography goes for the opening number, which is from um, Forum. Mm -hmm. And then we do um, Everybody Says Don't, which is the opening of Act Two. And that has the most choreography. But even things like You Could Drive a Person, you could drive a person Crazy is a little, it's a little trio and a little movement to that. And I also thought the same thing with um, Foxtrot, right. a little bit more movement to Foxtrot because we get the joke. The joke gets hammered home. I got it the first time. What are you going to do to bring bring that and keep them interested in what the joke is? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think one of my favorites is um, I'm Still Here. Mm -hmm. I love it. And because it's it speaks to so many people. I mean, e even if you updated, if he had updated the lyrics to today, if he was still around and went mm -hmm. back and, and changed it all, there's so many. It's just such a great song about surviving and moving and, and just moving through life. I had to actually look up some of the references when we got to that song on the show. But even if you don't understand like every single reference, like you get that this person has seen a lot of stuff. Well, it's even cool to go back and find those references and be like, oh my God, I didn't know that that's what it was. Yeah. Like, yeah. what's the uh, Balthazar? What's the... Um... BB's Bathosphere. Yes, 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 yes. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Stan right here. Stan. <laughs> <laughs> the one who sings it, the person who sings it was standing right there. And to look at this up, look up the history of where it came from and what was going on at the time it's so interesting and he's mm -hmm. so many layers to what he does there's yeah. so many directions that you can go with one line you know since uh there's been this reopening of broadway here this year and and, and crowds are coming out there's a bunch of sondheim revivals of course they're going on or have been announced or coming up that sort of thing for for good reason after he passed away do you feel extra pressure at all because of that to, to like put on a good show unbelievable pressure because i know we all know people in this business and they're like mm -hmm. i'm coming and i can't wait and i'm like and like oh my god i have to deliver 
at such a, it just has to be perfect. Mm -hmm. It absolutely has to be perfect. And that is, I, I'm feeling that pressure, you know, and if the show has to move, I want the show to move a little faster and, and to do justice to him. We have a cast member who also uh, knew Steve Sondheim and said, he's smiling down on us right now. And he's really happy with what we're doing. And probably he would have come to see it. Uh, I mean, that would have been, I don't know what I would have done right. uh, during that. But uh, <laughs> a lot of ham and a ham and a ham and a ham. But, uh, so it has, to be, it has to be perfect. And it's New York City. Mm -hmm. And it's everybody from, this is one of the first, you know, coming back. Oh, yeah. Uh, with so we'll see. We'll see. I'm very excited. The cast is great. The venue is great. What is the venue again? We are at the Triad, which is on 158 West 72nd Street. It is triad, T-R-I-A-D, N-Y-C dot com for tickets. And we're October 6th at 7 p.m., October 7th, 7 p.m., and then we have a matinee on October 9th at 3 p.m. Because not all the performers can be here. Who is part of the cast? Oh, my gosh. We have Sam Belangia. You met Marty and you met Vanessa. Mm -hmm. We have Daryl Glenn. Mm -hmm. We have Tara Martinez, Sean Patrick Murtaugh. Right. And then Darren Cohen is our musical director. And he is fabulous. Mm -hmm. And he has done so much. And we are very lucky to have him. Here's my last couple of questions here, probably for Vanessa. Who should come and see this show? Like, I'm, of course, there's the Sondheim fanatics out there, but who, who else should be coming? Anyone. I'm singing Broadway Baby, which most people, even if they're not Sondheim people, seem to know. Mm -hmm. Or, yeah, it's always Broadway. Broadway Baby and Send in the Clown. So anyone who likes those songs, anyone who just may have seen the revival of Into the Woods, or if they are wondering, like, what's going, like, if they keep hearing Stephen Sondheim's name and all of this press because of his passing, mm -hmm. they should come. Anyone who likes music, if you like opera, come see this. If you like busty ladies shaking their boobs, come see the show. <laughs> you know, like, it, there's really something for it's, everyone. I was going to say, there's something for everyone in this show, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say children, per se, but... These things could go over their head. Yeah. You can still bring them if you mm -hmm. if you need to. Is this still kind of like a cabaret performance? Does it feel like that? Yeah, because it's like, you know, it's a little review. It's not, there's mm -hmm. no script holding it together. Even the um, the blurbs that we have, like the narrations, mm -hmm. they end like halfway through the first act and it's just kind of song after song. So yeah, it's cabaret-ish. As far as dream productions goes, is uh, is there something else in the works right now, or are you just like focus on this show right now? Yeah, we're focused on this show, and then we will. I actually, I actually was granted the rights for Sunday in the Park with George, nice. but I haven't decided what to do with that yet. So. Okay, exciting. To be determined is what we'll we'll find out there. Vanessa, did I ask you the question I asked the other two, which is when what was your first Sondheim experience? Oh, no, you didn't. Okay, no. what is your first Sondheim experience? Outside of a, a music box that was a clown that played Send in the Clowns. Um, <laughs> I, in my high school, when I was a freshman, they announced they were doing Into the Woods. And I was 13. I was a freshman. I wanted to be Little Red Riding Hood in the worst way. They showed us the video of, you know, the original production. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, I just, I, I was immediately obsessed. Yeah. And then. I went to the auditions and I got cast as witch instead of amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and all the seniors hated me, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> they got over it. 
And I, yeah, I've just ever, you know, ever, ever since that, like I grew up doing community theater. I've been performing since I was about four years mm-hmm. old. There was a production of Follies when I was about 10, but you know, you're 10 years old and Follies isn't really for a 10 year old. No. Old, yeah. So it was like a couple years later, three years later and um, it was into the woods and mm-hmm. it was just from there on, it was like, there's a role for me in every show he does. Like, come on. Like, this is fantastic. And everyone loves Stephen Sondheim. And, mm-hmm. you know, just kind of go down the rabbit hole, I think. Because you are pulling double duty here as a performer as well. Like, uh, what, which are the songs, which are the sequences you get to be a part of? I have all the brassy numbers. I have, uh, I have Broadway Baby. I have another hundred people. There's a gypsy section. And I, mm-hmm. I'm Mazeppa. And mm-hmm. I've got to get it. I am uh, Anita in the West Side Story section. I'm just the one who's going to like shake mm-hmm. my boobs and <laughs> have a good time. We, we've said it here, but just to reiterate, just so everyone has a chance to, uh, to know when it's happening, can you just reiterate the dates and the times of when people can come and see the show? It is October 6th at 7 p.m., October 7th at 7 p.m., and October 9th at 3 p.m. And it's all at the Triad Theater, which is on West 72nd Street. Thank you so much, everyone. Vanessa, Jeff, Marty, for taking time out of your busy schedules here in rehearsal week to uh, come and talk with me. It's unfortunate I'm not in New York this this uh, this coming week, or else I would be swinging by myself. As they say in the theater, break a leg. Thank you. Thank you.